Welcome to the Savage Beast Podcast. Uh, I'm Joe Gallagher, and with me, playing Reissue Roulette, is Paul McLeod. Hello. That Hello. was... Uh, do you say Jay Retard? I say Jay Reatard because I'm um, not very smart. But um, <laughs> I see what you were about to do there. Um, uh, I don't know. Um, I That's something that's... Uh, I'm sure the answer is on the internet. Um, it's probably retard. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, it gives us all a get out of political jail free card because it's his name. We didn't pick it. Uh, yes. Um, and he is one of the three artists that we are playing reissue roulette, roulette with today. Um, uh, hopefully um, neither of us is the christopher walken to the others robert de niro in this scenario <laughs> to which movie are you referring i haven't seen this the, one uh the deer hunter oh i've never seen that movie oh my god uh, yeah i want to it's on my list if you're in if you in I, no better movie has been made about the subject of russian roulette being played. well and you know that director actually died this week so r.i.p him oh yeah wow i really um uh we'll just say i did that on purpose uh, <laughs> It's better that way. Yeah. Um, uh, Michael Cimini, I believe. If, yeah. if it's Maybe it's Cimini. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so the idea, the concept here is um, Joe was leaving for Iceland, so we needed uh, something he could research while he was uh, flying a lot in preparation for recording soon after he got back. So uh, in desperation, I said, let's just take a list of uh, 20 recent reissues um, which we just use the best new reissues list on Pitchfork and uh, pick two or three at random and we'll do those. And that's basically what we did. So uh, we ended up with um, Jay Retard's Blood Visions, which we'll cover first. And we also have This Heat uh, with their self-titled debut, which is also called Blue and Yellow, apparently. And uh, Sun City Girls with Torture the Mystic. So we're just going to talk about three old albums. Uh, And... I think uh, I'm excited because really somehow for the first time in this podcast, um, we're uh, going to talk about um, some truly obscure and pretentious music. (laughs) This is weird ass music in two or three cases. (laughs) I feel like it's been our destiny and that we maybe have put off getting here. (laughs) Afraid, yeah afraid of what might happen if you if you aren't down with music that um at least in one case was literally trying uh, did not care whether the audience liked it at all then um you may just want to skip this episode but um yeah. i had a good time with it me too um my mind was opened and at times <laughs> blown <laughs> Um, Before we get to that, though, I believe, Joe, you had uh, some live experiences you wanted to cover. So I went to Iceland, uh, as you mentioned, and um, had an an excellent time in the land of the midnight sun. Um, 
seeing a lot of volcanoes, geysers, etc. But that's besides the point. Uh, wait, I, wait, do they market themselves as the land of the midnight sun? No, isn't that okay. the name of something else? Well, I, I Norway just, uses that phrase. There so you go. Yeah, no, I, I was going to be mad on behalf of my clients in my real job. But anyway, go on. Um, yeah, I just it's it's all that they're all they're all Vikings. <laughs> they're all North. Um, I did find out that the um, Iceland and Norway are uh, in a fierce battle over ownership of Leif Erikson. Um, both claim them as uh, a native son, uh, even though he was born in Iceland and uh, seemingly never went to Norway. Uh, Norway claims him <laughs> as a Norwegian. So was he only like a second generation Icelandic settler or something? I don't know. Yeah, they they settled Iceland, but then he went uh, he went to North America quite famously, yeah. and then he uh, I he I believe he lived lived the rest of his life in Greenland. Yeah, um, uh, which led me to Wikipedia Viking settlements in Greenland. Um, excellent Wikipedia hole uh, surrounding that article. Um, nice. Uh, we've gotten distracted here. Uh, I uh, <laughs> I've wanted to go to Iceland for a long time, and one of my goals was to see a rock show in Reykjavik. I just thought that would be um, somehow very cool. Uh, and uh, let me tell you. Every other young American in Reykjavik thought it would be cool, too. <laughs> um, uh, the uh, sassy and talented Angel Olsen was playing there. Um, and uh, as my wife said, uh, she felt like we were in East East Williamsburg uh, because the club resembled a sort of dingy rock club um, you might find uh, filled with hipsters uh, in Brooklyn. <laughs> And in fact, it was basically a reunion of said hipsters. Um, and uh, so the experience was basically, it was basically an, ex, an expat indie <laughs> rock concert. Um, well, next uh, time you need to go to like to a black metal show like you originally planned. I did. That's I, where couldn't, you... I couldn't find a one. I, I couldn't really figure out where they were listed. Um, uh. And also... I discovered that Icelanders go out uh, extremely late. Um, apparently, they they start thinking about going out at midnight, and the peak hours are from two to four. Um, keep in mind, it is still daylight uh, at that <laughs> time. So um, my jet lag self uh, was not able to stay up and explore. Uh, gotcha. At those times, um, I did discover uh, the amazing. Uh, Icelandic sur- a genre of surf doom, <laughs> uh, which uh, we should uh, we should listen to a track by this band Godchilla. <laughs> okay, they're pretty fucking. Um, I don't know. It's just they really embody the term surf doom. Um, uh, uh, should I review the Angel Olsen show first, or should we listen to a little Godchilla? Let's listen to some Godzilla. Okay. All right, well, I'll tell you what. She was doing my chart. I gave her Johnny's birthday, February 14th. Except someone got to her and took out their own Valentine's card. They split her open. And they cut out her heart. I guess she couldn't predict the future for herself. The future isn't what it used to be, Mr. Angel. 
Does that sound like someone's about to yell wipe out, but just like in a real satanic voice, like wipe out? <laughs> yes, it does sound like that. <laughs> uh, that's all I have to say about Godzilla uh, is that uh, if you're a black metal surfer in Iceland, there's just no more perfect music for you. Joe, uh, you've just... You've just exposed yourself as a rank amateur by supposing that doom metal and black metal are uh, are similar in some way or interchangeable. I'm sorry. That is uh, that you're right. You're right. <laughs> At least whatever. Every time I'm talking to someone about metal, I'm just going to talk about surf doom, and uh, that'll that'll keep me in the clear long enough to uh, exit the conversation with my dignity intact. <laughs> There's no dignity after talking to a metal fan. <laughs> Um, so anyway, uh, the band I did see, Angel Olsen, um, she's a talented singer-songwriter, uh, very, uh, um, uh, doom, do, can I, I could call her doom singer-songwriting, <laughs> um, uh, and, uh, she was very good, but, um, she and her band seemed to be in a bad mood, and, uh, um, as her music is already incredibly angsty, uh, it was quite an effect. And I have to say that I, I think maybe I was, um, I just have a, uh, a, I can't quite get to the point I used to where if you're just singing about being as fucking depressed as humanly possible, I, that I, I just can't quite connect to that the way I could <laughs> uh, when I was 25. <laughs> wow. So uh, uh, a middling review then of the Angel Olsen show. Uh, we'll do a thoughtful review. A thoughtful okay. review and perhaps a cautionary um, tale. For She's those. probably jet lagged. Yes, that's true. And as um, she said, she'd just been to the local uh, one of the local public pools and seen a lot of dicks. So. <laughs> um yeah that's uh that's a danger in europe i guess yeah um but her, her new, yeah i will say the the one of the the two new songs from her that she's released from her upcoming album are really good so um i like them yeah she did close she played the whole show with a band but then she closed by playing um, a seven minute long song, which was the most depressing song she played the whole night. Um, and I major props for that. That was a great way to close a show. Nice. Um, and, uh, so very quickly, other show review. Um, I saw local natives play kind of a warm up show, uh, here in Portland. Um, I think it was one of the first shows that they played a lot of their new songs. Um, uh, I think some of them they hadn't played live before at all. Um, and I'm just happy to report that it sounds like the songs for their new album are fucking great. Excellent. Um, and they are just, they're just one of the best live shows, uh, that, um, exists in indie rock. It's just instant euphoria. Um, you know, whether it's one of the, you hear a song that, you know, or just, you know, they could just get you into any song that they play, even if, uh, it's the first time they've played it live. Um, quality yeah Yeah. Uh, all right right paul what have you had any interesting musical experiences recently not really joe it's uh it's been a little dry on the new music front which actually 
we'll probably do uh, another episode with our friend Taylor next time. But after that, we should do our best of the second quarter. Um, oh, we're doing it quarterly. I feel like we got kind of the first third the last time. Maybe not. No, it was definitely best of the first quarter. Oh, okay. I, I limited myself to the first three months, and um, we did it during April. So, okay. Um, anyway, um, so we should uh, we should evaluate it more systematically. But um, yeah, I mean, I've been listening to uh, lots of new music, and um, uh, there's been some good stuff. The uh, the Shoo Shoo um, plays the music of Twin Peaks album. Oh. came out a little earlier this year but i uh i hadn't gotten around to listening to it and um uh that is actually really good i know you, i don't believe joe you're a huge shushu fan but i love uh almost all of their albums and it's this time is for, it's time for me to revisit them it was a okay. long time ago that i kind of i mean them off. i could absolutely understand people just hating them because they're decidedly off-putting um in, I mean, Shushu's aesthetic is like sort of uh, uh, psychotic chip tunes combined with um, really over the top expressionist emo. It's it's beyond emo. It's German expressionism style uh, levels of emoting. Like like if you've ever seen the early silent film jo- Joan of Arc, that level of uh, just super drama. Um, You're ready to go with the pretentious <laughs> this evening. I'm impressed. Absolutely. Um, but uh, so then you combine that with Twin Peaks, which is, um, uh, you know, so the music of, of Twin Peaks is uh, also works on a sort of overly emotional way. Like it's uh, it's like somehow taking the sort of sappy uh, 80s soft music uh, tropes that I usually complain about a lot, but actually making them moving somehow. And it's, it's honestly, I couldn't even describe how that works, but like the theme to Twin Peaks is one of the most amusing pieces of music in the world to me. Uh, despite the fact that it's just like, uh, Peebo Bryson keyboard tones. But anyway, so you combine that with Shushu and it actually works, um, as well as I could have hoped, which I, uh, they've done a lot of covers albums in the past and they don't always work. So I really loved that going back and then the other thing is Swans released a new double album, mm. which I haven't listened to yet because I'm saving it because um, that's uh, they've reached that point for me where I, it just has to be real perfect. Nice. Um, so that's the uh, the Glowing Man, which is another quality uh, album title, and um, uh, I'll let you know how that is uh, when next we speak. Maybe excellent. Maybe it will make your best of the second quarter. I hope so. Although I guess it's now technically the third quarter. I think it came out in, uh, it definitely came out in June. So uh, uh, it'll be eligible. Wait, do we want to talk about the other genre we discovered today? Oh, yeah. <laughs> go go for it, Joe. <laughs> Our friend Lyle introduced us to the concept of, and I'm going to call it a concept, uh, Simpson Wave, um, <laughs> which is this trend that people have found take these clips of the simpsons um uh, kind of manipulate the video tint them give it weird colors and put in these weird loops and then like they add... give it they give it like effects that would be cliche trippy effects from like 1991 or something yes and then they add uh uh house music Vaporwave is the name of the genre. Yes, Vaporwave. Thank you. That um, uh, 
uh, somehow fits perfectly with the scene, um, mm-hmm. the Simpson scene, and it's just um, the effect yeah. is marvelous, and it's caught on, and millions of people <laughs> are watching Simpsons Simpson Wave. Um, yeah, and as far as I can tell, they don't actually change the music at all. They just use it as a soundtrack for these weird videos that have nothing to do with the music in the first place. So, so that's it's yeah. a true collage art perhaps. That's yeah, that was kind of my question like can, are we now at the point where there are genres of music that require a visual element? Like, um I would say this is now a work of a multimedia work of art and okay. not not music as right. such. It has the it has the name of a genre but it's being applied to something that is beyond music. Yeah. yeah. You know. All right. That's 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 a much uh, less academic way to view it, which I actually approve <laughs> of. Very nice, very nice. Um, so yeah, if you're if you're um, looking for a way to kill some time, uh, just look up Simpson Wave, and you'll find you'll find some of these videos. They're pretty pretty trippy. You can also go to. We'll put a link in uh, the episode page for this one too. Yes, I believe we already tweeted it uh, as well. That's true. Um, great for that eleven fifteen a.m. Uh, um, I can't fucking do any more of this stupid work bullshit moment. Like right after you drop a tap of acid in your workplace coffee. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, uh, let's let's play reissue roulette. All right. Um, do we want to hear, hear another song by uh, Jay Retard? Yeah, let's do. Um, I would say We Who Wait. Did you like that one? Yes. All right. Cool. That again was "We Who Wait" by Jay Retard, um, which you heard about half of it there. So, <laughs> uh, the song is not long. Yeah, this album is uh, like 14 tracks and 29 minutes long, or something. So, um, uh, lots of little bite-sized fuzz pop, garage rock uh, bits like that. But there are a lot of um, um, you know different. Uh, I'm surprised how complex the songs are, even when they're so short. Some of them have like several different uh, movements, even within like two or three minutes. I mean, you just heard it there. There were like four or five different riffs right there in that one minute of music we just played. Yeah, it's uh, the guy was a was a pop hook machine who uh, just happened to put it through uh, fuzzy guitars. I should we should say um, that uh, um, uh, he he's dead. Just yeah. to put it um, in the least uh, 
in the bluntest way possible. Um, he died in 2010. Um, at the age of 29. Yes. Um, uh, and uh, wait, do we know why? Oh, he yeah, cocaine. Cocaine and alcohol. Yeah. Um, Basically yeah. partying too hard, which is not surprising for a guy who put out like 80 punk rock albums in 10 years. Yes. Um, uh, Paul, why, why, why was I not listening to him earlier? What's wrong with me? Well, um, you didn't listen to any of his bands either because that was actually his solo album and it was like his first solo album and it was halfway through his career. This is Blood Visions in case we didn't say that earlier at the album we're, tra- we're talking about. Um, so uh, I knew of him. I think I'd heard of him. And then when he died, I definitely remembered his name after that because that was big news. Um, but I never really checked him out that much. And... Uh, um yeah i would say there's definitely something there that uh i wish i had been listening to i think that um their part of it was that you know it was it it seemed um uh a little too uh punk rock you know his, yeah. he was a, the hard partying kind of it would you know discourage my twee self uh, from giving <laughs> it enough of a chance um, not realizing that he was making some pretty beautiful music. Um, yeah. And to, to build on that, I mean, I sort of said this just a minute ago, but, uh, I actually made a note when I was listening to this, that it's, uh, the music is really catchy, fun, catchy and fun. And it sort of just is, you know, a bunch of hooky ideas that go by real fast. And I said, I wrote nothing really different between this and say Britney Spears, in terms of what its what its sort of purpose is, which I feel like is just like this is just really co- catchy music you can jam out to briefly, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily dwell on super hard later. Um, you know, like there's some music that continuously comes back to mind for me in and feels relevant to lots of weighty situations. Whereas this is just like I could imagine. Um, throwing a party to this or uh throwing this on in the car when i'm going somewhere fast and this is not really to denigrate it but anyway so then i it was interesting because i found a quote from him that he said i just think it's noisy pop music so i think he sort of agreed with me to some extent um that that's like the function it's serving and but he's really good at doing that exact thing like you said um very well crafted pop music which is not an oxymoron at all no, and and I think that you know his genre of garage rock and you know pop punk, um, you really have to be a master to stand out. Yes, um, because totally. The formula demands such conformity uh, that he takes advantage. He has to take advantage of the smallest opportunities um, um, completely and fully in order to. Uh, kind of realize um, uh, the the beauty that I was talking about. You know, there are these like little lines of it, like around the rough power punk chords and the beat. Um, I thought a good a good example was there's a song, uh, "The Night of Broken Glass," which has this kind of demented opening sing along, and it makes this like really uh, violently unstable song uh, uh, endearing. And it's yeah. just that those little touches that, you know, change it from a song you could uh, 
uh, here, well, in anybody's garage to one that's worth uh, coming back to. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. There's, it's, uh, it's kind of amazing that he could take the sort of three chord template. I don't know exactly if he's playing mostly the three chords, but um, that punk template and make so many ideas out of it. Um, yeah. So yeah, I guess it's just you know whatever genre you're in. I mean, if you're um, that next level of songwriter, it's gonna stand out. And with him, he absolutely was. Um, you know, a, a, a superior talent in that regard. Yeah. I mean, there definitely is, though, something different about the genius of turning a whole bunch of pop punk songs that are uh, unique and interesting out, as opposed to something like what Radiohead does, where it's like, well, we could use literally any sound that the human ear can hear um, to make our unique compositions. True. So, true. you know, it's, it's just interesting that it can be done so well. Right. Um, like, I doubt that Tom York could pull that off if he were like, okay, I'm just going to have drums, bass, and a distorted <laughs> guitar. That would be an interesting challenge. I would, <laughs> I would listen to that, uh, to the results of that. Um, yeah. Uh, um, it's also worth noting that he played all the instruments on this album, and uh, at different times in his career, he was contributing to, like, two to four different bands uh, writing songs for them. So, I mean, apparently the guy was just an insane fount of creativity. And uh, it's a shame that um, that he had to go so soon. Yeah, definitely. Um, I actually, I accidentally saw him live once. I wandered into <laughs> uh, Amoeba uh, Music in San Francisco um, just because I wanted to go while I was there. And he was finishing up some in-store set. And I feel like there were only like 15 people watching him. Um, but he was uh, being very loud in this uh, nearly empty record store. And, and I was like, this seems intense. Nice. Uh, yeah. So you said you expressed some regret about missing out on him. Um, do you listen to Ty Seagal now or Ty Siegel? I don't know how you say his name. Yeah, I don't get quite the same um, bump from that. Uh, really? Yeah, I think that Ty Siegel... Um, uh, he maybe he tries a little hard for yeah. my take. I don't know. He, I, to me, I think he's kind of consciously making some pretty pretentious choices. Okay. Um, and uh, that it, I, it's not that I don't like it, but I, it's not, I've never been like um, thought of him. Yeah. I, you know, I connected to this album the first time I listened to it and I've listened to Ty Siegel a bunch of times and, and never quite gotten to that point. That's interesting. I think I think my preference is reversed. I like the slightly more, um, I don't know, rot aspect of Ty Seagull, yeah. Seagull, Seagull, yeah. uh, a little bit better. So, um, just an interesting yeah, comparison. I don't. I you know I guess I totally fair to think of them as like in the same uh, lane, but I, yeah. to me they're not really. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I would say this is more. They're both garage retro garage rock this is more pop his ty siegel is more psychedelic perhaps right. you might say yes yes um i don't think ty siegel is nearly as concerned with uh you know putting five brilliant hooks and riffs in his songs yeah although i would say he's pretty inventive and he also is producing like an album every nine months or something so. yes which is my favorite thing about him because i think every artist should be trying to put out an artist a, an album a, a year 
Um, there's just no reason not to. Uh, I think it's because they don't make money from putting out albums. They make money from touring, which gets in the way of putting out albums. Yeah, so so. They, they barely make money from that anymore either. Yeah. Um, uh, so times. I would say I would, I guess, you know, we played roulette with this album and I'd say we both, uh, I don't know. I would, we, we, what, how does one win <laughs> reissue roulette? What is the proper term for that? I think, I think in this case, the pistol fired, but it gave us an exhilarating wound that psyched us the fuck up. There <laughs> you go. Um, I really recommend this album and, uh, um, you know, I've, I've led me to some of his other work, and uh, it's definitely uh, worth a listen if you like like what we played so far. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Um, so the next one, Joe, uh, would you rather do uh, This Heat or Sun City Girls? Let's talk about This Heat. Okay. Uh, we'll open with a track, and I think we should start with a 24-track loop if that seems yeah, that appropriate was, That to was going to be my suggestion as well. All right. Would you say that is representative of the rest of the album? Not really, actually. Um, <laughs> just because it's a weird album that does a lot of different things. Yeah, um, well, I, guess it, I think it would be kind of hard to pick a track that was representative yeah. of the rest of the album, except that it's all weird noise. Yeah, it's philosophically representative, you could say. Yes. Um, so apparently that track, which is, is, when you read about this album, that's definitely the most um, cited one is um apparently the uh the band was three guys in the late 70s in london and um two of them were just sort of jamming for a long time and the third guy was recording except he didn't record until the very end then he looped like a few bars of it and then 
uh, after that, he just they spent hours um, uh, just uh, looping that or m- manipulating that loop, playing it through different reverbs and filters, and uh, fucking with it until they got like a I forget what it is like a seven minute track that it's basically prefigures uh, sort of avant dance music like Aphex Twin, uh, you know, fifteen to twenty years beforehand. Well, I, you know, I think that um, more, there's definitely some, um, uh, some a thread that leads from this to Aphex Twin, um, but I, I thought that once you start reading, you know, the people who cite this band as a influence, um, like Caribou, uh, yes. Animal Collective, and yes. uh, Hot Chip lcd sound system you're kind of like oh yeah holy shit they all kind of you know this this sort of um like you said um uh indie dance uh experimental indie dance rock um, yeah um you know it, this is a, a a proto uh this is an ancestor of that a direct ancestor and it's kind of it's kind of striking i think caribou in particular um, uh, how much of it I heard in this track and uh, a few of the others. Yeah, no, it's really interesting stuff. Um, there's uh, there's another track, not waving. Uh, I don't know if you this one jumped out at you. It's the third track um, that to me sounded like a an early lo-fi post kid a Radiohead track with just yeah. like weird vocals on top of a mournful vocals on top of a creepy soundscape. Um, that I actually, every time I've listened to that track, I've liked it more. And, uh, I don't know. It's about somebody drowning on purposes of suicide. Uh. (laughs) It's a weirdly depressing album given how, uh, incomprehensible it is. Yeah, no, it's, it's decidedly dark. Uh, again, yeah, there, so there, we're talking about a couple of the more interesting tracks. The other one that I thought really stands out is Horizontal Hold, which is the second one in the first real song. Yes, I like that one uh, a great deal. Yeah, that one has some some pretty sweet syncopated beats in it. But I mean, a lot of the tracks are just like uh, sort of tinny, not really mixed very high, uh, atonal or inharmonic uh, sort of like tone poem things that just sort of meander along for a while. Or, you know, there's some really weird music on this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and it was it's true lo-fi. I mean, they obviously were, you know, there there's there's very little production value in terms of the fidelity of the sound in terms Yeah. Of- they were recording on like cheap tape machines in a uh former uh meat freezer. Um Right. in a shared collaborative uh studio space in the late 70s in London. So it's okay. uh it <laughs> sounds like something that could happen in like Bushwick in Brooklyn, like right now. Yeah, except your average Mac now has like eighty times the fidelity of whatever they were yes, using totally, back then. Totally. Um, um, one of the members of the band wasn't even a musician. Uh, the other two guys were like really well trained jazz musicians, and they brought him in specifically to stop them from doing anything technically well conceived. Um, so. Uh, yeah, you can see the sort of uh, uh, over-the-top uh, avant-gardists we're dealing with here. Um, which one was the uh, the 
the non-musician. Uh, uh, I forgot the names. The one who isn't named Charles. Uh, the other two guys are both named oh, Charles. Gar- Gareth Williams. Yes, that's yes, right. Yeah. Yes, who uh, who uh, died. There's a weird thing. All these uh, bands yes. we're listening to, there's some, like a key member died. Yeah, I was going to bring that parallel up as well. I mean, I guess you, that's a risky run when you start doing uh, reissue reviews. Yes, especially classic <laughs> reissues. There might be yeah. a reason. Yeah. And that's also the reason we probably ended up with two really weird albums. Because when when you're going to be reviewing an album 25 to 30 uh, to 40 years after the fact, it's probably going to be sort of ahead of its time in some way, which um, is definitely the case with uh, this one. Yes. And, uh <laughs> did you listen to any of the other this heat albums no one of the fun things about this is that when i was listening to it um i think i found it on uh, the whole album on youtube uh i uh the suggested other bands were uh excellent um, oh really yes and i wandered onto uh um uh throbbing gristles classic album <laughs> i've um, never listened to them actually yeah well that you know the and i learned about them is that they are um credited with um inventing industrial music ah which i and then i was like what is industrial music oh to me i just think nine inch nails like yeah i guess like that's over the top electronic percussion type yes stuff. the right and that's it, it it's Everyone just agrees that Throbbing Gristle basically invented that, um, mm. which, uh, yeah, today I learned. Uh, but this heat <laughs> also contributed to uh, industrial music along the way to, uh, you know, of course, contributing to uh, the prog rock music movement. <laughs> yeah, they were uh, they were definitely sort of like um, both prog and punk at the very early days of uh, of punk you know sort of a punk aesthetic of um avoiding technical mastery but prog in the sense of um being really committed to sort of art for art's sake sort of stuff you might say right so what um unless you have any concluding thoughts on this heat uh, i would just say that despite being really weird um you know all the things we said about this album may have given people the impression that i was sort of eh on it but i actually really like this album yeah. it's uh it pushes my my super weird music buttons in a in a nice way, um, you know. Particularly the more accessible tracks like the three we mentioned. Uh, but um, yeah, I would say that um, it it uh, there's a lot to listen to here, and certainly if you're interested in like maybe the you know the weirder things that Talking Heads have done, um, or uh, you know something like if you happen to be into like kraut rock or yes i, I don't or, or anything along those lines just you know new wave and uh, uh you'll you'll find um some interesting uh some portions of this album pretty interesting um and i think my only negative i that i really would bring up is that um i you know i was just a little bored at times i think it <laughs> got into that um Sometimes I don't like when an album seems like a soundtrack to a strange movie. And at times I felt as though I was missing the visuals. 
that's uh, actually a good that's a good description of what's going on on some of the tracks yeah um i do find that it it hangs together into producing a sort of sense of dystopic dread that i think works even though moment to moment sometimes it you know you definitely would not listen to some of these tracks by themselves um right but despite that i think it it sort of works all together um yes it does work it does work and uh, yeah so how would we describe the reissue roulette experience with this with this one i i'm happy to have to have encountered something that's this seminal and um uh again you know weird dudes deliberately setting out to ignore everything they know about music which in this case was for some of them a lot is uh the kind of thing that intrigues me so i'm happy with it i would say there you you go to fire the gun and then find there is no gun (laughs) the gun the entire universe is the dread of the gun the the gun fires but the bullet goes backwards into the time when you were born. <laughs> it, it circles around the world and kills you five years later. Um, um, <laughs> um, oh, one other thing before we move on. Yeah. Their later album, on uh, which is called Deceit, is much more traditionally pop-oriented, which uh, I didn't actually think was as interesting, unfortunately. Mm. I thought that could have worked. But there is a track called A New Kind of Water that is awesome. So oh, okay. uh, you should check that, that out. Um, so let me, before we go to our last album, uh, I wanted to ask you what reissue, um, is your favorite? Like what, what album that you came across, you know, long after it was released has kind mm. of, you know, meant the most to you? Oh, okay. Wait. So, does it need to be because I came across it because it was reissued, or I just came across it later? After if you have fact? an answer for the reissued one, we can go with that. Oh, okay. But it doesn't um, have to. It, you know. Yeah, I would say that actually that hasn't had a big impact on me. I can't, other than than uh, things that I encounter because they're news. St- I guess yeah. Sometimes things do get put in front of me for the first time because of reissues, like these uh, these albums. But. Um, I mean, as far as old music that has had the most influence on me or my taste or that I've liked the most, I think it's tough to say anything but Dark Side of the Moon, which is yeah. a super obvious choice. But, I mean, the the guitar solo on time is, I think, my favorite guitar solo of all time. And, uh, haha, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> and um, it's... Uh, that album is um, both, uh, I don't know, it's so ubiquitous in the culture that it seems like it has become a cliche somehow, but it's also just really good. And uh, uh, that's not a very creative or interesting choice, but uh, that's the first thing that comes to mind. No, we all, I think um, many of us have that moment where we are introduced to Pink Floyd and particularly Dark Side of the Moon. Um, and uh, it, if, if you're a fan of rock music, at least in the 90s, I think suddenly hearing that um, just kind of opened up the path backwards into like what came before, um, hmm. at least for me, in terms of, you know, uh, sort of this emotional and experimental forms of rock. Um, yeah. 
so Dark Side of the Moon was a big one for me too. Although probably The Wall was the Pink Floyd album that uh, truly unlocked my love of <laughs> Pink Floyd uh, that all teenage boys seem to possess. <laughs> yeah, I mean The Wall is the one of those great teenage type albums. Yeah. Um, um, I would say my answer for the reissue that meant the most uh, to me, and I don't want to step on a, uh, a, a, an impending podcast too much, but um, uh, the movies, uh, Talking Heads movie, Stop Making Sense, was reissued, and I saw the trailer for it, um, and they uh, play Once in a Lifetime during the trailer, and I never really heard that song or at least paid attention to it before, and of course... Uh, that the reissue of that movie and the album uh, got me into Talking Heads uh, in a huge way. And of course, they're now um, kind of one of my favorite bands and one of the most important bands uh, in my own uh, musical pantheon. Um, yeah. And that was directly because, um, you know, they, they did this full reissue of that. Um, and it really did reach a new audience. And uh, I feel like I... Uh, um uh that's i had a question do you think did i did you get into the talking heads because i got into them yeah it's unquestionable that that yes. was that was why i uh i gave it a shot and um it worked they're they're super awesome uh some of my favorite music so um, excellent well we should have that, a podcast where we talk a lot about talking heads in the near what future. a what a wonderful spur of the moment idea you've just had joe <laughs> Um, okay, uh, should we move on to our last album? Um, yes, let us do that. Uh, this album is, um, I wouldn't say it's weirder than This Heat, but it is more trippy. <laughs> it's called Sun City Girls from uh, right here in Arizona, um, and uh we will play you a track from it. Did you have a track in mind, Joe? There are all there are a lot of good ones on this, actually. Um, wait, the album is called uh, Torch oh, of the Tor- Mystics. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. Sorry. Um, and the band is called Sun City Girls. <laughs> So that again was uh, Sun City Girls with uh, Blue Mamba from Torch of the Mystics. And in a way, that was uh, sort of a deceiving song to play as a sample, I think, in that uh, until the vocals come in, it sounds like a pretty normal uh, 
you know, sort of indie guitar rock track in a lot of ways. We're gonna need to play something from later in this album. Uh, yeah, we'll play later. the shining. We'll play the shining path later. I yes, think that's... perfect, perfect. <laughs> um, so wait, so was was this the album you're talking about that seemed purposefully, um, uh, dis- uh, you know, to well, dare the user to dislike it? So that's less true of this album than, by all accounts, all of their other albums. Um, yes, th- this true. is the album that's cited as the one that people like and that is listenable. And I would actually agree. Um, I mean, there's some weird stuff. I would say more of the album sounds like that weird vocal melody that was in that sample we just did than sounds like the guitar and other parts that were around it. Um, But uh, uh, it's just a lot of sort of trippy East, you know, Asian Indian influence type of psychedelic rock um so I, I that's guess, pretty cool in a lot of cases i guess we should say that this is a this is an indie rock band that formed in um uh like 1980 in phoenix yes um, and and sun city for anybody who doesn't know is a a planned retirement community built by a developer in the 60s so sun soul, city soul girls sucking. would <laughs> sun city girls would refer to a bunch of like 60 year old women in uh uh you know, culottes or something walking around with, uh, uh, with sneakers on. So, uh, that's funny right there. Is that where the replica of the London bridge is in Arizona? Oh, it might. I have no idea. Um, uh, and so, but this album came out in like 1990, so 10 years, but they produced 50 albums. Yes. um, And they're just uh, 50 albums. 23 cassettes, 12 seven inches, 12 soundtracks, 25 compilation appearances, six feature length videos, and a number of other curios and oddities, according to them. Uh, and um, as we said, this is the least weird of yes. those. I mean, just based <laughs> on uh, some. Um, yeah, I didn't actually tour the Sun City Girls disc- discography, but I'll take everybody's word for it. <laughs> you didn't have an entire week to listen to it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so the reason I said that, that about being intentionally off-putting, uh, was, uh, so I read a feature about this band from Pitchfork released four years ago, uh, called from their underscore series that is just chock full of amazing quotations from them. So I'm not going to do all of them because I kept copying and pasting them and I ended up with like 12, but, um, just to give a little bit of a taste of their philosophy. This is three dudes who, if you look at pictures of them, just look like the most uh, nebbishy white dudes ever. Um, You know, like they've got, like imagine your standard uh, uh, office working, um, not very important white guy in the 80s, and that's what these guys looked like. Anyway, but so then they have quotes like this, like, um... We make hard decisions and we make them quickly and we move on, Alan Bishop told The Wire in 2004. The downside of that approach is that there is too much for people to digest. The upside is that it's fearless. So we leave a few diamonds by the roadside and we leave a few heaps of pterodactyl shit as well. Um, Then his brother says, uh, we just thought, what the hell, get it out there, who cares what people think? Let's be done with it and start on the next one. That's how we worked. We released stuff that no band in their right mind would ever consider releasing. It was a beautiful thing. That is uh, fantastic. Yeah. I like uh, that approach. 
<laughs> there's one other uh, one other selection I have to read, which okay. was um, <laughs> at one of their biggest shows at the Great American Music Hall in San Francisco. They abandoned instruments altogether, offering what longtime Sun City Girls producer Scott Colburn described to The Wire as, quote, a skit about three hobos waiting for a train. Added Rick, a lot of people were upset with it, but that's just the breaks. We thought, if there's going to be 600 people there, let's do something they'll remember. Even more baffling was a Seattle show billed as Sun City Girls Play John Coltrane's Live in Seattle, which featured the original Coltrane album playing on the club's PA with the band nowhere to be found. I like this band. I like them a lot. I mean, both of those stories are just awesome. It's great how people kept like trusting them to like come and play a real show and they would they would fuck with them. I mean, I mean really, a skit about three hobos waiting for a train in place of a concert. Uh, I love it. Um, wow. Yeah. No, these are true these are true pranksters uh, and uh uh, maybe I wouldn't be so happy if I went to one of the shows. I think I think I would be laughing pretty hard about the, at the three hobos waiting for a train skit, and also definitely at the <laughs> just CD playing. <laughs> the band wasn't there. Uh, uh, I mean, to get back to to get back to the album, um, yeah, I I it's weird shit, uh, and yeah. I I like it. Um, uh-huh. It's to re- not to reuse the title of the album, but it's definitely mystical. Oh, you can't avoid saying that word yeah. when you're describing it. Um, and they they go for it. They obviously, you know, were just, uh, as you said, committed to whatever the concept for this particular album was, which is kind of a really drugged out, uh, you know, indie lo-fi um, with sort of sacred chants. Uh, yeah. Or, you know, three 1980s office workers ideas of what a sacred chant sounds like uh pasted on top um uh and uh i you know i think they were high as fuck when they recorded most of it um that would be my guess uh presumably or else else they're just so weird uh that they perfectly replicate uh that experience yeah Um, here let's give people another sample totally Uh, um, so this is The Shining Path, which is actually a cover of a Peruvian folk song um, that also gave its name to, I believe, a Marxist rebel group in Peru for a long time. Yes, that's correct.
<laughs> okay. If you ever wanted to hear a Peruvian folk song rendered as an Ennio Morricone uh, work, that is uh, that is uh, what you got right there. Um, you know, <laughs> I had to, sometimes listening to this album reminded me of watching like lots of Aqua Teen Hunger Force episodes <laughs> in a row, where you're like, sometimes this is brilliant, and sometimes they were just too high or just being too <laughs> stupid um, to uh, effectively communicate whatever they wanted to get across. I could um, definitely see there being an Aqua Teen episode that is just soundtracked by a couple tracks from this album yes. or something like that. Yes. Um, um, <laughs> what else is there to say about it? It's great. Uh, you- yeah, you didn't really hear it in any of the samples we played, but I mean, there's some pretty, some pretty sweet uh, psychedelic guitar solos on this album. If that's something you're into, um, it's uh, this is another album that I, maybe it's the first one. I don't know. <laughs> Definitely, drugs are recommended for this album, which I haven't even tried, uh, but um, I can only imagine that it's that it works great. Um, uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh it's funny that's it's just like this is also kind of our most um this is the most druggy music we played in a single episode which absolutely breaking all sorts of barriers here (laughs) yeah so uh joe how would you how would you describe the experience of pulling the trigger on this reissue uh i would say that um uh the as I pulled the trigger, a purple pterodactyl swooped down and took the gun from my hand and replaced it with uh, a replica of my entire body, uh, which then climbed into my head and uh, began reprogramming me uh, to speak the pterodactyl's language. That's that's that sounds good Uh, i would say (laughs) for me it blew my head off but only in earth 17 through 23 and uh, in the rest i had an orgasm so or maybe it was Um, that uh the gun itself turned out to be a pipe uh mystical weed (laughs) which poured into your ear yes Um, uh, this is this has proven a surprisingly supple metaphor for, it has, <laughs> for, it has. for this experience. Um, but I would I would not if you're interested in uh, weird early '90s uh, indie drug rock, uh, this album yeah. is worth one listen for sure. Yeah, for sure. I would say the one thing that I could tie it into with the contemporary music scene was. Uh, it definitely reminded me a little bit of listening to Gish, which came out the yeah. first Pumpkins album, which came out only like a year later or something. Um, so maybe that was floating around a little bit, that sort of like Eastern psychedelic thing. Oh, I think it definitely was. Um, and I would say, you know, to uh, overall the experience of just going back and listening to random um, sort of critically acclaimed albums, um, you know, that were a bit, uh, off the beaten path was a it was a really good one yeah um it's great to listen to something new that's not just you know so desperately trying to be um 
you know, the new and popular thing. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And we got a, we got an interesting mix. You know, we got Jay retard who's um, retard, who's sort of uh, reviving old tropes in a new and interesting way. And then you have this heat, which was, uh, you know, really producing new ideas that were influential in a lot of later people. So sort of from the opposite end. And then with Sun City Girls doing something completely original that I don't say, I don't think you could identify that many obvious uh, descendants of whatever they were doing. It's just like a weird shining monument on its own. And uh, so, yeah, it's interesting the way these different things happened to by chance uh, have different relationships to the canon that came before and after them. Uh, Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great way to learn about um, some of the music that uh, you know, you know and love and listen to every day uh for sure yeah Uh, um all right so maybe this is another one we'll do again sometime when we're hard up for ideas but uh (laughs) (laughs) but uh definitely cool stuff and uh worth checking out especially if you like weird music um any final thoughts joe before i give the sign off that was my final thought paul i'm all tapped out i just wanted to make sure you didn't have any new ones um yeah. So uh, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can hit us up at, at Savage Beast Pod on Twitter. Uh, you can email us at savagebeastpod at gmail.com, which I should actually check. Um, you can check us out on the web at savagebeastpod.com. And then we have, uh, we would always encourage you to uh, subscribe to us via iTunes or your other podcast service of choice. We're on Google Play and Stitcher and all those things. Um, and also rate and review us, which are all great ways to uh, uh, improve our visibility to the outside world. So uh, thanks, everybody who is listening, and uh, we'll be in touch. And uh, Colleen Green, please don't be mad at us. Paul says dumb shit all the time. Don't, like, don't, don't take it personally. Like all the time. All the time.